Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, we're a church that opens up the Bible, so I pray that you you'll bring your Bible. I know some people's Bible, it's on the app. How many read the Bible from the app? Raise your hand. Okay. How many have a, a literal Bible still? Raise your hand. All right. Hallelujah. Those people are saved. <laughs> I do it on both. I do it on both. I do it on my computer and do it. In fact, I brought my Bible today. I wanted to see. I should have wore the the headset instead of the microphone because I brought my Bible because I'm trying to get a little bit away from just the computer, which has my sermons, notes on it. Um, I could preach it without the notes. If you don't believe me, how many want to bet? I could do, oh, I see that. <laughs> but it does help me not repeat a lot of things. But I, we're in the book of Romans. And this is a letter. It's one of the largest letters. And it is one of the first letters, not necessarily chronologically when it was written, but chronologically in the Bible. It is a profound book. And it's a letter to those in Rome. Now, we're used to this book because we've read it so many times. But remember, they're hearing it for the first time ever, this particular book. And in chapters 1 through 3, we talk about mankind and their guilt and the judgment. That seems to be sad news. He starts off with the sad news because there is good news coming. And in chapters 4, all the way through chapter 8, salvation is spelled out very clearly to the Jewish people and then to you and me. Chapters 12 through 16 have a lot to say. Now that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how do you live out that life? Especially when we get to Romans chapter 13, how does that relate to the government when the Bible tells us to be in subjection to the government? We're going to be tackling that in the near future. You won't want to miss that. But between the bulk of the letter is what many theologians call a parenthesis. Between 8 and 12 is what? 9, 10, and 11. Those who passed elementary school. And it is, it is really zeroing in on the Jewish person, but it still has something for you. And I've called this message, let me see if my notes are, I'm just teasing you. God's plan for the Jew and you. Kind of has a little rhyme to it, doesn't it? God's plan for the Jew and for you. So let's bow for a time of prayer as we ask God's blessings on this time. Father, we pray that you have indeed been honored by us opening up our hearts and not praising necessarily a singer, an actor, an athlete, someone famous. Well, actually, the most famous person that ever walked the face of this earth Jesus we want to meet with you in your word so I pray that people will be intentional open up their minds and hearts to what you have given mankind from the throne room your word and your word is reliable trustworthy and so speak to us father about your plans for the Jew and us Speak through your servant, please. May they see God, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, we're going to begin, first of all, with the first point I'd like to make this morning, that God's plan for the Jew and you involves the grace of God. And then we're going to talk about the grafting and involves the grafting in of God. And then it talks about the guarantees of God. And then finally, the glory of God. So let's look at what God's plan involves for the Jew and you. Well, it involves the grace of God. Let's look first of all in chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Paul said, I ask, did God reject his people? By no means, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham 
from the tribe of Benjamin. And so God wants us to see, he wants the Jew to see, who's been asking this question. Has God rejected Israel? Because most of the Jewish people rejected the Messiah. Most of Americans have rejected the Messiah. Most of the world has rejected the Messiah. How do I know that? The Bible very clearly tells us, wide is the path of unbelievers, of the rejecters. Broad is that path. Big is that gate that leads to destruction and to hell. Narrow is the path. Small, I'm, I'm transliterating. Narrow is that gate. Small is that gate. And only a few will take it. So Israel, as a rule, rejected it. So they're saying, well, did, has God rejected us and all his promises that he made to us through the prophets? Are they null and, and void now because of this rejection? And so Paul answers that question, and I think you need to lean in on and listen that God is for the Jewish people, and so are we because we're believers. And he's reminding them of his grace. And he's saying, Paul is saying, listen, I'm one of the Jewish people, and, and God saved me, so it's proof he's not through with the Jewish people. Just because of the majority of the people rejected doesn't mean he's rejected the Jewish people. Then he reminds them in verse 2 through 10. If you look at it, I'm reading from the NIV. About his selected grace. So this is his saving grace, but his selected grace. This is kind of where... Election and grace kind of meet together. Grace and election and free will kind of meet together. So when people reject God, he's still going to get the job done. And so Paul reminds the Jewish people that God's not through with them. He's not rejected them, even though they rejected him. It wasn't God rejecting them first. They rejected God. But he's still working with them. Proof? He saved Paul. Proof? He reminds them a little bit about their history. The past selection, beginning in verse 2. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, one of the greatest prophets, Elijah and Elisha, how he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And and God said, what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed down to the knee to Baal or other gods. So too, all at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by God, and if by Grace and it is no longer by works. But we're, we're going to stop right there in the first two verses and then we'll pick up on those rest of the verses. Two, verse 2 through 4. God reminds them of their past history when he tells them that, you remember Elijah when he killed all, how many remember the story where Elijah had all the prophets killed of Baal? All those prophets were killed. He was brave. He was courageous. In front of one of the most wicked kings, he gathered all the imposters, all the imposter priests And said, okay, you call on your God, and I'll call on my God. Let's see which one wins. And, of course, the Baal prophets lost, and they were all slaughtered. And then a woman said to this brave prophet of God, I don't think you're going to be living tomorrow this time. Guess what this prophet did? No woman is going to tell me what to do. No, he ran. He ran from her. And was afraid for his life. He thought he was the only prophet left. And God reminded him, even though most of Israel had rejected him, he's going to make sure the job gets done. So he made sure there were at least 7,000 believers in Yahweh that had not bowed down their knee to Baal. See, God's still working behind the scenes. He still has chosen Israel to be his chosen nation. He's not through with them. He's not rejected them in spite of them rejecting him. Then he reminds them of the remnant, the remnant 
of today, of that day that he was writing in. And that kind of picks up back. Let's pick back up in verse 5 again, where he tells them, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, in it by grace, and it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they could not see and ears that could not hear, even to this very day. And David says, quoting from the Old Testament, May their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. And a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. And their backs be bent forever. So it looks like God is rejecting them. But God reminds them that there is a remnant that he has preserved. That has not bowed down their knees to Baal. Again, put yourself in Israel's situation. Most everyone rejected Jesus Christ. Only a few were being saved. So they're thinking God has abandoned them. All his promises no longer can be trustworthy. Well, if his promises cannot be trusted, what about the promises he's made to you and me? He's reminding them that he has selected people by grace to be saved, not of works. You and me are familiar with this passage because just as he saved the Jew, he saved us the same way. You remember that passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. People forget about this last verse. I asked them to throw it up there just in case you forget. After you get saved, there's something else for us to do. Now we're on our way to heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're ambassadors for Christ. Now he has something for you and me to do while we're here on earth. Don't forget that. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Don't forget about that. But his point is, God's plan for the Jew and you involves grace, God's grace. How do I explain that? Kind of reminds me, how many know the comic strip Little Orphan Annie? which then turned into a movie, and then, of course, a lot of theaters have staged the play of Little Orphan Annie. Now, remember, Little Orphan Annie wanted a home, and who is her soon-to-be daddy? Daddy Warbucks, this rich billionaire who could care less, really, about kids. They were just in his way. Little Orphan Annie won his heart over, and he ended up adopting her into his home, and all she became joint heirs with all his wealth. He gave her everything. But that's really not the same of what Jesus did for us. Because while we were sinners, while we were sinners, Daddy Warbucks adopted you and me. We weren't like Orphan Annie, impressing God with our goodness, our righteousness, our holiness. We were all rebelling against him. Get away from us, God. We want to do our way. We want it our way. That's how we were when God said, I don't care. I don't care. I love you. I'm dying for you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to give you a home in heaven. You're going to share my glory forever. While we were sinners, we weren't like Orphan Annie, that one Daddy Warbucks over. So God wants to remind the Jew, I'm saving people not because of their works or their righteousness or because they were born a Jew, or am I saving you because you were born in a Christian home? It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I know you know that so well, so well. But the people in Rome did not know this message this beautiful good news that you're saved by grace. Many people do have a Bible in their home, but they don't know this verse. For by grace are you saved. So God wants the Jew to know he has not written them off. Neither has he written you off. You still have a chance to be saved. I remember at our home yesterday sharing at our grand, uh, grandson's uh, birthday party, and there was someone there that I was sharing the gospel with. And I said, listen, I'd like for you to make that decision today. But because I did not want to pressure him, I said, and he was listening. 
He wanted to hear. And I said, but you, you, can, you can think on what I'm sharing with you and let me know what you want to do with it. But the Bible says today, when you hear the words of grace and of salvation, don't harden your heart and walk out of this place or shut off the TV and forget about what God's teaching you. You're saved by grace, a gift of God. A gift is not something you deserve. Remember the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Judgment, spelled out in chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Romans. Judgment, hell forever. But then grace kicks in in chapter 4. He reminds us the gift of God. That is receiving something you don't deserve. God is willing to let you in, into the family of God by gifting you eternal life and forgiveness by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again. By looking to the cross, he is willing to let you in by grace, not by works. Also, God's plan for the Jew and you involves grafting of God. Now, I'm not a horticulturalist or agriculturalist, so I, I had to look up a lot of this stuff and how do you actually do this grafting. But let's look at it spiritually, what God is saying in verses 11 through 15, what he's talking about. He's giving us the reason why there's going to be a grafting in, and then he's going to remind us, uh, and, and we're going to look at the results of this grafting. So let's look at verses 11 through 15 right now about uh, this grafting stuff. Okay, beginning in verse 10 or 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble? Who's they? Israel. So as to fall beyond recovery. Again, see that question coming up over and over and over again. Do I still have a chance? Look at all the sins I've committed, God. You don't know what I've done. God's not going to accept me. Christ died for the sinner not the saints. So he's reminding you and you that rather because of their transgressions, what's transgressions? Sins. Salvation has come to who? The Gentiles. Remember, whenever you see that word Gentiles, basically as a rule, it means what? Other nations, other people besides the Jewish people. So salvation has come because of their rejection, because of their sin. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Ah, this is a good use of the word envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. I'm talking to who? All you who are not Jews. So remember, God's plan for the Jew and you is involved in chapter 11, even though most of it is for the future Jewish people of Israel. And he's telling them all about it in advance. I'm talking to you Gentiles in so much as I, the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my mystery in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation. Now, when you see that word, the reason I stopped, because when I first read the Bible, I didn't understand a lot of these religious words. So I would get out my dictionary, I would stop, and it would take me years to understand circumcision and reconciliation and glorification and sanctification and justification and propitiation. I didn't know those words. Those were religious words. So whenever you hear the word, you know, reconcile, but really it means restoring relationships. So Paul had the job, the church has a job, you and me have the privilege and job of helping others restore their relationship with God. That's what it means, restoring relationships. So let's read that again in verse 15. For if their rejection, who's they? Israel. For if their rejection is the restoring of relationships with the world with God or the people in the world, the people in the world, the individuals in the world with God, what would their, what will Israel's acceptance be but life from the dead? So let's look at that for a moment. 
God wants everyone to know that he is not through with the Jewish people. Because the people of Israel refused to come to Christ for salvation, the Lord turned to another people. He turned to the Gentiles, and he opened wide the door of salvation. So Israel, was their, their loss, you've heard that said before, is our gain. Remember what he said. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. John 11, John chapter 1, verse 11 through 12. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. So Paul says that God had used the salvation of the Gentiles to provoke jealousy in the Jewish people. Wow. Man, we're the ones that had all the prophets. We're the one that had the Ten Commandments. We're the one that saw the miracles of God. We're the ones that saw Jesus open the eyes of the blind and raise the dead. And now none of that belongs to us, and it belongs to the rest of the world. Man, I want in. That's what Paul is trying to provoke in the Jewish people by going, here's a people that didn't even enjoy all these benefits. Now they're enjoying those benefits. We are not enjoying those benefits, but we would like to enjoy those benefits, and one day we will enjoy those benefits. Did you, did you get that? Did you get that? It's all biblical. Well, the results is found in verse 16 and 17 of God grafting in the Gentiles. Notice in verse 16 and 17. <clears throat> if the part of the dough, you bakers, Offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, that's Israel, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, that's talking about the Gentiles, you and me that are not Jewish people, were a wild olive tree out there. Losing our sap, not producing much, have been grafted among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. So God is saying his plans for the Jew and you is to show grace. And it involves also the grafting in of the other nations into the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the promises he gave to the Jewish people are for you and me. So as a result of the natural branch, Israel, being broken off, the wild branch, the Gentile nations, have been grafted in. And we are allowed the privileges of being placed in a personal relationship with the God of heaven. Now, why is this so important? Again, you and me take it for granted, but if you remember the Jewish temple, the Gentiles were not allowed to pass a certain spot in the temple. If they did, they could have been killed. So the Gentiles could not go to where the Jewish people were in the temple. Even the Jewish people could not go into the Holy of Holies. Only one person could go into the Holy of Holies. Even they didn't have immediate access to God. That high priest had to confess his sins, and then once a year he went into the Holy of Holies and he was able to confess the sins of Israel and present an offering. Now, when Jesus died on the cross and there was an earthquake and a lot of things in the temple were broken apart, that veil, that big, perhaps five feet or five yards, not five yards, but it was very thick, five hand breasts, they called it, of that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. So when they opened it up, now all the Jewish people could look in to this holy of holy place. Symbolizing that everybody, including the Gentiles, now had access to God the Father. Anywhere, anytime, any place. God revealed to the world, to the Jew first, what happened. And now the Gentiles have been grafted in to these blessings, and they now have access to God. I mean, there's a lot of people that you and me admire, and I kind of opened my phone yesterday, and it was showing some famous people that I, I got to take a picture with, and we all like that. We like to have 
access to important people. I had a picture of Bobby Bowden with me. I, I enjoyed that picture. And there's some other people. I have Tim Tebow, but it's only a statue up there in, uh, you know, uh, where the UF. I, I didn't get to actually. I have, a sh- I have one of his uniform shirts, uh, but someone gave me one of his shirts when he was playing for Denver. But there's some other pictures I have with uh, Channel 10 News anchor and, uh, and one of those nice ladies there and uh, some other pictures that I have of people that I met. Uh, John Maxwell, how many know who John Maxwell is? I think that's the one I was showing off yesterday. He's the leader in leadership. And so I, I think how it's nice to have access to people that we admire. But now The Jewish people and the Gentiles alike have access to God. Guys, we got to understand what that means. The creator of the world, the creator of the universe, anywhere, anytime. He told that one man at the well, listen, there's coming a time. In fact, it's right now. God desires true worshipers to worship him in truth and in spirit. Anywhere, anytime, in your car, in the church, at home, out fishing, on the golf course, anywhere you can worship, but it doesn't substitute the church. Oh, I didn't get too many amens on that. Well, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but, you know, I'm out hunting. Yeah, you know, I, I experience God more out here than I do in the church. Well, they don't really know the body of believers. We're not talking about a building. We're talking about the people of God. Well, God's promising in chapter 11, God's plan for the Jew and you involves his grace to the Jew and to you and me. Grace, not saved by works. It involves the grafting in. His plans are the graft in. He grafted us in, the Gentiles. Anybody who believes are grafted into the promises of God. That's the result. The reminder, though, here's what we need to be reminded of. And it's very important in the day and age we live. And I'm going to put my only glasses because of light. I I can see without my glasses. But I put my glasses on because the lighting. If you notice, I kept moving over a little bit like over here because that light was right on me. So I'm just letting you know I'm not getting old. I'm just. uh... Okay. By the way, reading the word of God can be enjoyable. Being in the church of God, there's enough sorrow, there's enough sadness. We need to laugh a lot of times when we're meeting together. But this is a sober reminder to us Gentiles. Beginning in verse 18, notice what God says to us. There's kind of a little bit of warning about those who've been grafted in. He tells us, do not boast, this is to the Gentiles, do not boast over those branches. That means those branches that have been broken off talking about Israel. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, Israel's unbelief. And you stand by faith. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If they, that's Israel, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in that's going to happen he's he's we'll we'll talk about that in just a minute for God is able to graft them in again after all if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree how much more readily will these the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree So Paul's warning us that we have been grafted in, and he reminds us in these verses that we should not boast about our new position in Jesus Christ. The same way God grafted us in, he will graft in again the Jewish people. I'm going to go to the next point because of time. We could talk a lot about this grafting that God's plan for the Jew and you, it talks about grace. 
And then he talks about being grafted. But then he talks about the guarantee. This is something that he's nailing home in chapter 11 of the book of Romans to the Jewish people. That they will be grafted in and he can guarantee it because they didn't know whether they could trust God's promises. All Israel had been scattered in 70 A.D. For over 1900 years they haven't been a nation. Let's look at verses 25 through 27 again. 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, that is as written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sin. And so God reminds us that they were blinded after they rejected him, and it's temporarily. One day their eyes will be wide open to the person of Jesus Christ, and they will be saved. Don't you remember the parable in the New Testament where Jesus invited people to the marriage supper, and he invited all Israel to come in, and hardly anybody accepted the invitation, and everyone gave excuses. It reminds us, when we share our faith, some people will say yes, but many of them will give an excuse of why they will not accept Christ as their Savior. And then Jesus said, well, listen, go out in the highways and the byways, grab them by the neck, bring them in until my table is full. That's kind of what he has in mind right here in these verses. There's a temporary hardening of Israel. Notice now his purpose in this hardening. But he guarantees them. He guarantees them in these verses that they will become a nation again. Notice in verse 28. As far as the gospel, the good news is concerned, they, who are they? Israel. They are the enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. There's the promise. Just as you who are one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. I pause only because I want it to sink in. That one time we were all disobedient sinners. And we received mercy from God. Not getting what we deserve. So as a result of Israel's disobedience, so they too now have become disobedient in order that they too may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. It's amazing how God works. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all of us and all of them. Amen. Now, here's the important part. Most of the world hates the Jewish people. It infuriates me. You're wondering, why do they hate the Jewish people? There are but a few nations that stand with Israel right now. Remember, the promise still stands that God told Abraham. He promised him a few things. Land. He is coming back in the clouds. He is going to step foot in Jerusalem. He is going to rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years in spite of what the amillennialists believe and the spiritualists believe and the allegoricalists believe. That, that, another fancy religious words again, right? He is going to reign. There are hundreds of promises in the Old Testament that God would be a liar if they did not come true. He will reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Hallelujah, we'll finally have a president, a king that, um, that will reign in righteousness. Don't you look forward to that in the midst of all this corruption? But you better find yourself supporting the Jewish people. Now, that doesn't mean the present population of the Jewish people love God. But I like what one famous pastor said. I don't support Israel because of all their politics. I support Israel because of the covenant promises that God made to Israel. Amen? 
And in 1948, after being scattered all over the face of this earth for 1900 years and being persecuted like no other nation under heaven because they saw the glory and the power and the miracle workingness of God and Jesus, God becoming Jesus in the flesh and did miracles, they rejected that. And remember when you reject the gospel message to them that have been given much, much more is required from them. And they've been persecuted so much. And then even Satan, through Hitler, tried to wipe them all out. Just like he tried to kill Jesus when he was born. You see, God has a plan for that plot of land over there in Israel. It is holy ground to God. But he's for the people of Israel. He's not through with the people of Israel. Even when I went to school, there, there are theologians and I was taught and I went to the professors and disagreed with them. You said the church has replaced Israel. That's false theology. Don't buy into that. We're reading in chapter 11. I'm not through with Israel. I have plans for them in the future for Israel. And we're in that future right now. There are many people in Israel that believe in Jesus. Believe in Yeshua, but the nation itself has not embraced the Messiah. But one day, all of Israel, after the tribulation period, were the worst things that happened on earth. They have not gone through their worst tribulation yet. It will make what Hitler did seem like a Sunday school picnic. Because two-thirds of Israel is going to be destroyed during the tribulation period, along with many Gentiles. But then, when Jesus comes back in the clouds to set up rain in Jerusalem, they will look on the one they have pierced, and all of them at that time that are left because of God's mercy and his grace will look on the one they have pierced and weep bitterly, but embrace him as their Lord and Savior. God has plans for the nation of Israel Never find yourself joining in and voting against Israel. That's not political. That's spiritual. God has plans for his people. I can't understand how people who call themselves believers hold their nose and become prejudiced. You think there's prejudice in our country. There's no people that this world has been more prejudiced toward than the Jewish people. I love the Jewish people. Everything I know comes from the Jewish people. My salvation comes from. My Savior comes from. The Bible comes from. The prophets come from. The glory of God comes from. My future is in Israel. Why would I go against the people of, that God has chosen to reveal his honor and glory through? So God has plans for the Jew and for you. His plans is to show grace. His plans are to graft us in the promises and the hope of Israel. He guarantees it in this chapter. He guarantees that he is going to set up shop in Jerusalem. I want to give you that one passage that will help you understand that this prophecy came true from Jeremiah 30. It's not on the screen. Jeremiah 30, beginning in verse 1. It says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in the book all the words that I have spoken to you. You see, God's word is trustworthy. It's reliable. The Dead Sea Scrolls prove they're reliable. The whole book of Isaiah is intact. The Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the message that he wanted man to have, you don't think he can make sure it's, it's preserved? Trust the word of God. Over 1,800 predictions in the Bible. This is one of those. Against all the odds, this came true. Are you ready? Thus says the Lord God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Remember, they're in captivity. When I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words of Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, Adonai, spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord. When God says something, 
You believe it, that settles it. Now, remember, I've said this to you before. It doesn't matter what you believe. God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter what you believe. Amen? God's going to make it come to pass. I hope as we've read this, and I get to my last point this morning about the glory of God. You see, his plans to the Jew and you, to the Jew and me, is that we will experience his glory. It's spelled out in the doxology in this last chapter as we close out chapter 9, 10, and 11, which really zeroes in on Israel and God's plan for Israel, but yet has something for you and me. You see, God's plan involves the glory of God. We see his greatness in this doxology, his grace, and then we see his glory. Let's look at these verses, the doxology that ends chapter 11. Well, I have to turn a page. I'm not used to using my Bible. I'm used to using my computer, the, the Bible on my computer. Here's what it says in chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, this is his greatness, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Look at the confusion about judgment today, about everything that's happening on. You get one judge that passes a verdict here, and then someone over here that passes another verdict, and they're in opposition to each other. But how unsearchable his judgments and his past, beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who gives counsel to God? God's mind is so miraculous. I think about the computer, how all of us on a computer can Google a particular thought, an idea, research something, and everyone, it can pop up at the same time all over the world. If that's what a computer can do, what can God do? No one can fathom his glory, his omniscience, his omnipotence. But we are not his counselor. We need to stop trying to figure out the why of everything, and start learning to simply trust God by faith. He knows what he's doing. We do not. He sees the future and knows what's best for now and then. We do not. Therefore, let us bow before him. That doesn't mean we're supposed to sit down and twiddle our thumbs. He let Joseph know the future. He let Daniel know the future. One of the things this pastor is trying to do is we're, we're trying to, we know what's going to happen. God's told us the end of the story. We, many of us think we're living in the end times. How many think we're living in the end times? Would you raise your hand? Oh, a few, okay. Some of you are waiting to get married. I know you put, kept your hand down. That's how I was. Wait, God, till I get married. Wait, wait, Lord, till I have my first child. Wait, Lord, till I get my first house, right? Wait till I, right? Remember, you, you remember those days. But he's coming back. And I think we're, we're, we're sitting on the threshold of his second coming. But, but if we're here, we have a group of people that get together and we try to siphon through all the malarkey, conspiracy stuff so that we can better prepare ourselves, our families, and this church for what may be coming down. Just something simple. This, this, we talk about food shortages already. Anybody know about food shortages? All over the world. So if we know that's happening, nothing wrong with that. It's not a scare tactic. We know God's coming back. We know he's going to take care of his children. But he does inform some people, like Joseph, saying, there's going to be a famine in the land, and I want you to prepare for that famine. And it's okay to store up some of that wheat and some of that grain in the barns. It's okay. We're not freaking out. We're not fearing because we talk about it. And we're doing that for you. And so you pray for us so, so that we can help inform the church about some things and some actions that they should take. Kind of like a, a storm, right? It's kind of like a, like a hurricane. I hope you pray for the people up in New Orleans because they're, they're, it looks like they're getting the brunt of the storm. Pray for the believers. Pray for those that have become believers that God will take care of them. So we want to be in the know, not operating in fear. We know that God has written the rest of the story. So his greatness is made known, and then his grace in verse 35. Notice he said, who has ever given to God that we should repay him? 
To whom is God a debtor? Does the old man anything at all? Some people think so. They expect God to jump through their hoops at their command. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who moves first. He reaches out to men through his grace, and men are debtors to him. Let's never forget that truth. God owes us nothing. You know, sometimes when I'm good, when you're good, and we've been doing good, and something happens to us, what do I do to deserve that, God? Or something that we've been asking him, how come you haven't done that? I've been good. I've been behaving properly. I deserve that, God. We, we kind of tell God what he needs to do. But you know that God owes us nothing. Now, I don't want you, I don't want you, I don't want you to leave here with that kind of God, but you have to know that fact about God. He owes us absolutely nothing. Dave, I mean, Paul said, I'm a debtor to God. I owe him everything. We owe him everything. Every dollar in our pocket is his gift. Every, every lung full of air is his blessing. Every heartbeat is his grace manifested. Your home, your car, your family, your job, your health, your intellect, your talents, your possessions are all his gifts to you. He doesn't owe us anything at all. Belong to him. All the gold and silver are mine, saith the Lord. But guess what? Let me leave you with this, though, as we read the last verse. For in him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever and ever. What does God want in return? Your love. That's it. Your love. A lot of times you think you have to impress your spouse and when all they really want is your love. But remember what the Bible teaches us about love. It's not just a word. Jesus said, if you love me, and he spells out a lot of things in between. If you love me, obey me. But all he wants is your love. He gives you all this, all that you have. Don't, you need to go home and say, this is God's house. This is God's car. God is broken. You got to fix it. Literally, you can tell him that is his car. But have you been taking care of it? <laughs> God, my body's broken. But have you done, listen, I'm okay right now. I realize at any moment, any time, something could happen to you or me. But what am I doing in the meantime? Am I taking care of my body? Am I taking care of my home? Am I taking care of my car? Am I taking care of my kids? Am I taking care of my grandkids? We have a role to play. And then sometimes we want to blame God for something that we're supposed to be doing. We are debtors to God. He owns everything. And when you realize that... It can set you free. He portions it out like he wants to. He didn't give me a large church to manage and to shepherd. He gave it to some other people. I shouldn't want what other people have, and neither should you want what other people have. Be satisfied with what God's put on your plate. Find joy in that. Find peace in that. Find contentment in that. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so the Bible I end with this says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Would you stand with me at this time, please? Thus ends chapter 9, 10, and 11, a direct message to the Jew, but there's something for you. Yes, this is a Jewish passage, and may, we may wonder why we even bother with it. But the reason is that it teaches us about God's grace in calling us to faith in Jesus. It reminds us that our God is a promise-keeping God. It teaches us that we should always seek to honor the Lord in all that we do, in all that we are. So I leave you with this question. Are you in Jesus Christ? Are you saved by the grace of God or are you trying to maintain your position with God by your works, by your giving, by your righteousness? Have your sins 
been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. But specifically, the big singular sin, S-I-N, that is, you are your own God and you've been in rebellion against God since you've been born. That's the sin that you need to confess. God, I'm sorry for doing it my way. I've sinned against you. I repent of that. Have your sins been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Has Israel's fall become your bridge to freedom? If so, you should bless them. If there is a need in your heart today for salvation and repentance, please trust Jesus today before it's too late. Or if you just want to praise the Lord for his grace this morning and goodness on your behalf, there's no better way to say thank you than to come into his presence and simply say thank you through this worship song, through your giving, through your prayers during the week. Would you make the decision? If you've made the decision to accept Jesus as your Savior, please, if you're online, would you fill in the comment section? And when you do, one of the ministers, one of our staff members will get back with you as soon as possible with some information about your new journey. Of course, if, you, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then you certainly want to take the next step, which is what, church? Baptism. Can you say baptism? Baptism. The next step is baptism. Then filling you in on all the rest of the details of your journey. We'll be glad to do that with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time of reading your word and, and, and helping us look at Israel. That by, by watching them, it, it helps us understand what you're up to. And it's amazing how they became a nation in 1948. Wow. After being scattered all over the face of the earth for 19 years, if you kept that promise, you, now, if you did keep that promise, then the second coming is on the horizon. Because of everything we see around us, God, we believe is coming. So help us keep our eyes on the, on the heavens. You said, set your affection on things above, not on things below. Help us do that, Lord. And for the person that's kind of wavering on his or her decision about you. I pray that you inspire them to make that decision before it's too late. Because then the door will be shut and they won't have a chance anymore. Help them today make that decision, Father. We're going to walk out of here, Father, now thanking you for your glory that everything was created by you, through you, and through Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Nothing was made without him, our Savior, your Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you now as we get ready to leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.